Let's open our Bibles to Luke 21 this morning. And we hope that you probably heard a couple of weeks ago, we announced that uh, by the end of this month, Tanner will be become the lead pastor. He's already acting with a little attitude, I see up here. No, I love to see him take charge and just be confident. And as we are finishing up Luke, we have the last chapters. I just want to glean the final lessons that we have together from this, this gospel. And the whole point of studying God's word is is both to know Jesus better, but as well for ourselves to be equipped for God's purpose in our lives. And I am fully aware that it's not easy to hear an announcement that I would not be here every Sunday morning as your pastor. Change is always difficult. I know that. But just as I'm encouraging you to say, what is God doing in your lives? My wife and I are doing the same thing. It was a year and a half ago that I got the message to come and be a help here. And who I had no idea how long I would be here. I felt like, Lord, I'll be there as long as you want me there. And it's amazing how in just a year and a half, so much has happened here. The church is stable. There is just a clear vision, which is a purpose for this church. Why does this church exist? There is a clear mission, which means how are we going to reach that vision? What we are doing is all serving a purpose. The announcements are not just busy things for you to plug into, but they're really accomplishing God's purpose for this church. But in addition to those things, there's just been an amazing team of leaders and workers that have risen up and come together. And that, that is just an amazing thing to see God do. But as far as the timing for us to not be here, it suddenly became aware to me more than ever that for me, no, I don't live here. I live in Vancouver. And it suddenly felt like for me not to be here every day was actually starting to hold the church back. Now, if you just come to church and you see us here on Sundays, then that might be all you see. And you say, well, Terry's not going to be there Sundays. Well, but I wasn't typically here midweek, except for maybe a couple of days. I would come down midweek. But somebody really needs to take charge. There's now new developments, exciting th new things that are happening that somebody needs to be here. And I started feeling like, oh, I can't do it. Tanner, you need to do it. And I gathered uh, are the there are elders and I say, this is what I see happening. Does it seem like I'm seeing this correctly? That... It's holding the church back for me not to be here. And is Tanner ready? 
You know, no one's ever completely ready. You never feel completely ready. And even as we're looking at the end of Luke, we're literally days before the cross. And when you look at this ragtag group of apostles and disciples, you might look at them and go, I don't think they're ready. Even Peter is going to deny the Lord. You're thinking, well, he's not ready. We're, we're never completely ready, but at some point, the Lord hands us the car keys and goes, okay, you're ready. And that is a huge freak out, let me tell you. But in these final lessons are important, important things that I, I, I think are vital for us to just highlight. And as I've always said in this year and a half, I look at you, all of you, as the ministry team. You are not just the congregants coming to watch and just see what's happening. You're, you're what's happening. You're the ones that God has drawn here. And you're the ones that the Lord has been speaking to and equipping for the work of the ministry. And I've watched it happen for a year and a half. And I want to encourage you to keep stepping forward to do that. Jake was here last week. Did you guys hear it, Jake? Um, my wife and I were in the ER in Vancouver in Salmon Creek area of, got up Sunday morning and Catherine, my wife, had been up all night um, sick and had pains. And I had to take her to the ER and in the ER, I'm texting area pastors down here. I've been longtime friends with Rob Verdine or Corvallis since around 1985. We've been friends. And then I text Tom Sanderbrink. He was in Rome. <laughs> he was no good to me because I'm in Rome. At least he answered. Uh, but I text Rob. I said, I said, I have an emergency. I'm in the ER with my wife. Tanner is away goofing off at a retreat. And I have, I need somebody to go speak. Services at 10 o'clock. Rob answered me right away. He started working on it. He sent Jake over. Jake, I knew if he chose, if Jake was available, he'd do a great job. And uh, Jake shared that he and I are from the same town in LA. Isn't that funny? It's interesting to look back and we were at a men's uh, conference Rob was holding last year. And this big Samoan guy came right up to me and um, blotted out the sun. No, he goes, I heard you're from Carson. Oh, yeah. He goes, I heard that verbatim had a, a pastor, a white guy from Carson. And I'm going, there's no white people that live in Carson. <laughs> that was why he wanted to talk to me is because I was from Carson and I'm not Samoan or any other it was great to grow up in Carson because we had every nationality. I grew up at the United Nations in Carson. It's down next to Torrance, Redondo Beach. Uh, it was very mixed and just awesome. Uh, but we had the best football team in the L.A. area because of the big Samoan front line. Thank you, are my Samoan brothers. Um, but I knew Jake would do a great job, and it's interesting to see that connection. And I want to, as we're, I'm trying to weave in our transition, but our final lessons here, 
And I, I, I just see so there's amazing similarity here between us transitioning over to Tanner, Jesus, you know, handing things off to the disciples, even though, you know, there's going to be glitches. And either the Lord's working or he's not. Amen? Either the Lord's working or he's not. And I want God to work, as I've said many times, I just don't want to make any changes because changes are upsetting. Are they ready? Are they ready to receive this weight of responsibility? Are you ready? And I think, yes. Are they ready to protect themselves from distractions? Are they ready to just do the very work that God wants to do through their lives? And our confidence is not in us. I hope your confidence was never in me. My confidence is not just in, in people or just in Tanner, but in our confidence is in the Lord. And Paul would say that even about himself. We don't have any confidence in our own abilities to do these things. But in this chapter especially, Luke 21 is a heavy chapter. It's about the signs of the end times and of the second coming of the Lord. How's that for a final lesson? But in this chapter, and I'll kind of do an overview it really highlights some key things that the disciples need to hear. It's not just what are the signs of the end. It's what do we need to pay attention to, and are we able to pay attention to what's going on around us? That's a key thing is am I able to see what God is doing, not just am I willing to do what the Lord is giving me to do. And you have to pay attention and you have to discern What's happening? Twice this week, I got strange messages through Facebook. The first one, a woman sent me a friend request. I get friend requests every day from people I don't know. They're friends of friends, people in, that in other churches, I, I'm up to eight, over 800 friends, and I don't know half of them that's fine. And so I looked at, you know, this, there was friends in common with this woman. She was from Laguna beach, but now lives in Idaho. So I accepted the friend request. She immediately sent me a message. Terry, I don't think you, you may not remember me, but my name's Amy. I worked for you at the haagen store in Laguna beach. This was around 1989 or 90. And she says, I knew that you would go out at the beach across. I was on PCH out at Main Beach and you would pray. And she says, I got caught in that net of prayer. And my husband and I are now on a leadership team at a Calvary Chapel in Idaho Falls and I heard that you are coming to our church to do ministry training. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to that church in June, and she's there. 
Then a couple of days later, I got another message from a man who a friend requested me a few months ago. Seemed genuine, wanted to know more about my ministry a few days ago, and then sent his other crazy message. Turns out I have terminal cancer and they're going to do surgery and I'm not sure if if I'm going to make it. And I have this large estate and, you know, wondering if your ministry could use, you know, could I trust you? I don't have any family to leave this to. Going, I have no idea. Sure. How can I help you? Well, I want you to do all of these things and I want you to build a hospital and I want you to do these, all these things right. Am I telling the story right? Now, you get both of these messages. Which one is a message you can trust and which one seems a little scammy? The second one. I just blocked him. I unfriended him. You have to just keep your wits about you all the time. So just as, you know, I, you're nervous about change, we're nervous about change. Because I'm saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? And so you are now sending us out as missionaries. Do you know that? To, to help other churches. And so that's exciting, but it's nervous. Um, I'm still available to talk to Tanner or show up whenever you send me a friend request. But we love you, and I am excited for what the Lord's doing, but I really want you to be confident and equipped to feel this weight of responsibility because it is a weight. It's, it's exciting to be used by God, but then the, the weight of the responsibility is a surprise. It can, it can kind of freak you out. So there's four words that I want you to write down as an outline for this chapter. The first one is priorities. To be used by the Lord, the disciples, you and I, have to have the right priorities. We have to have the Lord's priorities. And often our attention is just on the wrong things that are not productive. Now we looked at the first six verses of Luke 21. I'm not going to read it again. But the setting is the temple area. The disciples are there with Jesus. They're watching the wealthy men donate huge sums of money, and they would do it publicly because they wanted to be seen by everybody else. They would come and put on a show and toot their own horn, so to speak. But then there was a widow who gave her two mites. And it says in these verses, it was all that she had. And what a contrast it is between the wealthy spiritual leaders and this poor widow who has, it seems like, not enough to make a difference. And the disciples are getting caught up in the beauty of the temple. It says they're discussing the gold and the marble. And Jesus interrupts and says, Two important things there to the disciples. First of all, that woman gave more than all of those men combined. 
in God's eyes, she was the one who gave the more generous gift. How about that for a shift of priorities or a change of perspectives? And secondly, while they're talking about this amazing temple, he's saying, guys, it's really going to all be torn down. And essentially, the priorities have to shift from the material and temporal to spiritual and eternal. From the material perspective and temporal, just what we can see, we love to look nice and have fancy buildings. God's priorities are spiritual and eternal. Many of the things that you are doing that are of tremendous value to the Lord, you won't find out for years to come or until you see the Lord, until you are rewarded for the work that you've done. So I don't want you to ever feel like, well, you're not making a difference or how much you give isn't a big deal. The Lord sees you and it's important. The second word I want you to write down is patience. And this is where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Patience as in endurance. If you can't have some endurance for this life, you're not going to make it. Because this world is not fair. And in the signs for the end, there's just going to be an, an increase of trouble in the world. Now, when Jesus talks about the temple being torn down, that provokes the disciples to then ask the questions about the end times. That's, that's how they shift onto the signs of the end. I'm going to pick up at verse 7, Luke 21, 7. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, when will these things be? And what, will the sign, what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? He said, take heed that you're not deceived. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. When you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. There will be fearful sights, great signs from the heaven. But before all these things, they will lay hands on you and persecute you deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but will, it will turn out for you for an occasion for ministry or for testimony. Verse 14, therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand and what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. 
by your patience, possess your souls. How is that for a parting lesson from Jesus? You're going to be hated. They're going to persecute you, kill you. Now, who wants to be in the ministry? It's in Matthew 24, 3. The disciples said, tell us, when will these things be? That's question one. Two, and what will be the sign of your coming is question two. And question three, and of the end of the age. There's three questions that Matthew records all three of them. What will be, when will these things be, meaning the destruction of the temple? What will be the sign of your coming? And then of the end of the age. So I just put together kind of a bullet point list, which will come up on the screen. And I don't have time to go into all of it, but kind of a summary of the end time signs. If you're into this stuff, now, here's the thing. A lot of you are really into end times prophecy. This is exciting for you. Others of you who have never heard of this stuff, it's, your eyes are going to gloss over and you're going to go, wait, that's too much information. So just try and take in what you can. But it is important that you know these things because they are happening now. Don't you know that? So you can't just stick your head in the sand and go, well, I don't really care about that. I just want to know how to pay my bills. And let me tell you, as your pastor for the next few weeks, that's not going to work. You don't just bury your head and think that none of that out there has any effect on your life. It does. Here's some of the signs. The rebirth of the nation of Israel. It happened in 1948. They were scattered in 70 AD. The Bible says they'll come back together and be reborn. Ezekiel 36 and 37. That happened in 1948. So we are in the general time of what we would say is the end times and the coming of the Lord. Russia and Iran will war against Israel. Did you watch the news this week? I've said that a hundred times. It's happening. The alliance between Russia and Iran is just getting stronger and stronger as Israel has bombed in Iran in the past week or two. Russia is threatening Israel to stop doing that. Okay, you guys who don't follow current events, you need to know this is happening right now. As Israel supports Ukraine in their fight against Russia, Russia is threatening Israel to stop doing that. This is so common in our news today, you might just tune it out. You're going, I'm tired of hearing about that stuff. You need to pay attention. The technology for worldwide communication. Revelation 11, 9, talking about events that will happen in Revelation. And the, the whole world will see that event happening at the same time. That technology didn't exist until our time. Control of all purchasing otherwise known as the mark of the beast. No one will be able to buy or sell. I'm just saying that technology didn't exist until our time. Throughout church history for the past 2,000 years, 
it's happening now. Chips in your brain. We've got to control things to protect the poor and not let this pestilence, this virus get out of control. Deception, is that happening? Yes, otherwise known as the mainstream media. Wars and rumors of wars, yes. Earthquakes. Now, it's happening so often that in the past hundred years, the number of major quakes above 5.0 has just escalated through the roof. Major earthquakes. Famine. It's happening. It's not just a byproduct of war. It's actually now being manipulated by world governments. They are restricting food supplies. The global association is now manipulating these things. And you won't hear about it in the news, but it's happening. Famine, earthquake, famine, deadly disease happening. And uh, they've taken advantage of COVID. But more things are coming. A big one is that the Jews will regain control of the city of Jerusalem. That actually happened in 1968. Luke 21.20 is the next verse. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. In other words, the Jews will lose control of the city of Jerusalem until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The Jews lost control of Jerusalem in 70 AD. They got control again in 1968. So we're on borrowed time. There will be signs in the the sun, the moon, the stars, and in the earth distress of nations with perplexity. That phrase, distress with perplexity, means that there's going to be conflict among the nations that will escalate to the point that there is no way out. There's no way out. There's no, there's no treaties. There's no discussions. There's nothing that's going to bring a solution. And even now, there are threats, real threats, of nuclear weapons. Russia, Iran. Did you know that America and Germany have officially entered the war with Ukraine against Russia? Did you know that? How many of you knew that? So these are the things that escalate into World War III. They're trying to keep it down, but this is what's happening. At verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Talking about signs in the heavens among the the stars, the sun. And that's talking about right at the end of what we in the church call the seven-year tribulation. In Daniel, it would be called the 70th week of Daniel or the time of Jacob's trouble. So trouble, the, the great tribulation is a phrase that comes out of Matthew 24, where Jesus says that, uh, that there will be trouble on the earth such as the world has never seen before. What we're seeing now are just the warm-up signs. 
Now, you might say, why would God allow all of this? You know why? To wake the world up. Because all of this time, people are saying there is no God, or if there is a God, we are not accountable to him. And because God loves the world, he will, he will shake the world and say, this is your chance. If there is a God, how many times have you heard? If there is a God, why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he make himself known? Oh, he will. He will. And even though he will, many will openly rebel against God. So that when the Lord does bring judgment, that judgment will be just. Because people again say, well, that would be unfair of God to judge if people have never heard. God is fair and God is always just. Amen? The third word I want you to write down is the word promise. What's going to give you endurance, patience, is to hold on to the word of God. You either believe what I'm saying or you don't. I'm trying, it's a long chapter. I don't have time to read every verse in this chapter, but I'm trying to read a lot of it and you need to read it. Read it. I'm not really in love with sermonettes that are five steps for a happy life. You need to know what the Lord said and you need to put it to the test and believe it. Promise, verse 29, then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. There's been so much debate about what it means this generation will not pass away. I'm not going to focus on that. He's just generally saying, when you see these signs, pay attention. Look at what's happening in the world. Can you see? Can you see wars and rumors of wars, famine, food shortage, deadly diseases, deception, the rebirth of Israel, threats by Russia and Iran? Is seven enough signs for you? The technology to control all buying and selling, the technology to see a single event around the world. There's nine signs. Jews regaining control of Israel. That's 10 signs. When you see these things, it's like seeing the, the tree bud. It's spring. You know that summer is coming. And just as reliable as it is for summer to be here, you know, I mean, the sun comes out a couple of days around, uh, when is it? April? My wife's going, we got to get the, the patio furniture needs to, you need to hose off that patio. 
and I have to, we have to have this discussion every April, May. It's not quite time for summer, but we're almost there. If I get the patio furniture out, it's going to get all rained on. So let's wait another month. Okay, but it's coming. There's no question. Now, well, you might say, well, that's just nature. That's just how it works. Who do you think designed nature? Anybody? Jesus. He is the one who created all things, John chapter 1. Without him was nothing made that was made. And just as all things in nature are controlled by the word of God, by the code that's written into nature, the laws of science, so also he goes, my word will not fail. He's saying these things are going to happen. And when you see them, you know that the end is coming. So start warning people. And I'm saying, if you see these signs, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? And the fourth word I want you to write down is the word protection. Protection. Verses 34 through 38. He says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. So no one should be surprised except those who are willfully not paying attention. You should not be surprised. And because you know the word of God, you know that when trouble happens and you hear it again on the news, Russia's threats, you're going, well, it's happening. And the danger is saying, well, well, look, this is not really going to happen. The Lord's not really going to return. There's not really an accounting for my life before the Lord. Whenever the church slips into that perspective and they say, this stuff's not really going to happen. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. You've been distracted, overtaken by fun things in the world. But when you know better, then you, you're not caught up in those things. You have endurance because it's not weighing on you so heavily. You really are making the best use of your life. And you know that ultimately the Lord is watching over what's happening and he's bringing it through to a final conclusion. Do you know that? Have you ever said, God, why don't you do something about this? That was Habakkuk in the Old Testament. He would see trouble in Israel, and he, he kind of prayed and said, God, don't you see what's happening? Why don't you do something? Habakkuk chapter 1. 
And God's answer to Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. He goes, look, Habakkuk, I am doing something. And even if I told you what I'm about to do, you wouldn't believe me. And Habakkuk goes, well, why don't you just go ahead and tell me anyway? So God tells him what he's about to do. And you know what Habakkuk says? That is not a good plan. This is in Israel's rebellion, and Habakkuk is complaining, God, why don't you correct? Why don't you stop Israel from doing what they're doing? God says, well, I'm going to bring the Babylonians to discipline them, carry them off captive. Habakkuk goes, I don't believe that. We've been bad, but they're worse than us, so that's not fair. You know, God tells you everything he's doing, then you get caught up in thinking uh, that God needs to hear your opinion, and he doesn't really. God has a plan. He's patiently walking it through. He's allowing people to do what they want to do and either to choose to reject him or choose to receive him. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who are those who are counted worthy to escape all these things? That's a loaded phrase, isn't it? Those who are worthy to escape this world and to stand before the Lord in heaven are not people who have been good. Because no one is good, Romans says. No one is good. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only basis on which you and I can escape the judgment and stand before the Lord is that we have asked the Lord to forgive us of our sins and to impart to us, to give to us eternal life. Because you see, the worthiness is his worth imparted to us. It's completely when we pray in Jesus' name, we are coming before the Father under, under the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. So if you feel like, well, you've, you're, you've got a lot of flaws, you've, you've got problems in your life and you're not worthy and I can't get my act together, listen, just join the club. Are you worthy? Are you good enough to go to heaven? What's the answer, class? No. I know it was a trick question. You said yes. On your own abilities, are you worthy? No. So just relax. But if you said to Jesus, yes, then purely based on that, like the thief hanging on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was enough. That was enough because Jesus is worthy. And if you are in Christ, is what that phrase means, then you also are counted worthy. 
in this case, because you know the right person. You get in because you know the right person, Jesus Christ. Encourage you to read back through Luke 21 and Matthew 24 if, if you're excited about these things. But don't make it too technical or overly complicated about these end times things. It's mainly about understanding that the Lord has a plan, that trouble is breaking out. And I do believe we are that generation that is seeing these things come to pass. I don't think it is reading into it. I'm not, you know, just inflating all of this stuff. We're that generation. And that means we need to make use of our lives. And if you've ever felt like, well, what does it matter? You know, my life or what my little contribution, every one of you is gifted by God to impact people around you. There are people that you talk to every day that you will make an impact in. They watch you. I had no idea when I was 30 years old that my employees were watching me that closely at haagen in Laguna Beach. No idea. And I get to find out on my deathbed all these years later Your life, my little life is making a difference. And you need to know that. So don't be caught up in the cares of this life so that it takes you out of being used by the Lord. It's completely your, your choosing to just ask the Lord to strengthen you, to fill you with his spirit. Let's stand together. Lord, today we, we are upset by the trouble in the world. Or if we're not, because we're not paying attention, Lord, help us to open our eyes and look up and just see the exciting times that we live in.